passion, joy, love, excitement, enthusiasm, confidence, great God, desire, fervor, lust for music, people, and life. One billion percent authentic, unstoppable, undeniable, and super smart on so many levels are ways to describe Theophilus Zenodus. Did I say that right? Or Philex. Philex, everyone knows is Philex. His passion and love for playing music and guitar is the fuel that enables him to work hard, be self-disciplined, and persevere. This has made him successful, and it's why he's still successful in one of the most difficult businesses in the world, the music business. Phil made it happen. But his success is not just his ability to play guitar. It's also his ability to connect and communicate with people on a very personal level, which is the perfect formula for collaborating with other musicians, artists, and bands. And musicians, bands, artists, producers, and engineers love Phil. He lights up a room wherever he is. That's why I'm wearing glasses. His passion and desire to always kick ass is infectious, and he motivates everybody around him. He's a team leader, a team player. Let's get Phil. He plays a guitar real good, and he's a lot of fun. Phil is recorded with Bon Jovi, Alice Cooper, Chris Cornell, Rob Zombie, Tommy Lee, Daughtry, but also Avril Lavigne and Kelly Clarkson, to name a few. He's a guitar maniac, gearhead, singer, songwriter, session dude, solo artist, family man, and he has made records and toured with Bon Jovi since 2013. All right, Phil, why Phil X? Why do they hire Phil X? I kind of gave it away, but why? You said it all. I don't know what to add to that. The other thing is, I thought you were saying my name by mistake. Totally sounded like somebody else. <laughs> so when I approach anything, it's like I'm in the project. No matter who the artist is, I, I'm like, okay, if I was in this band, what does this song need? What does this singer need to support the singer? Because the singer is the most important thing, right? And then I also, I'm also a songwriter, but even though I'm not writing in the project, I think of it as this is the part that supports that. This is the part that supports that. And we just keep building and building until, you know, it's a journey, right? You want every song to be, okay, this starts like this, but then the, the verse does this. And then the climax is the chorus. And then, okay, can we make the last chorus even bigger? So you just want to keep making it, it's fun to me. And I think the joy is always evident. And I think that's what people are like, you said it, you know, let's get filled. He, he kicks ass and he's fun. So I think that's a big part of it. You know, it's like, it's almost like you maybe think you're almost like an actor in a movie and they're saying, all right, your role in this movie, you have to be that guy. And you're like, okay, I get it. And then you become that guy yeah. for that movie. Exactly. Right? Because every song is like a movie. Well, man, I never looked at it like that, but you're totally right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's yeah. yeah. By the way, I want that intro, if you could send it to me so I can put it. <laughs> So I can put it on my wall. It's the, oh, yeah, best, yeah, yeah, it's the yeah. best thing I've ever heard. Hey, did I say your name right? That, it's, um, how do you if say you, it? If you say it in Greek, so I grew up with like Exenides. My mom tried to tell everybody it was Exenides. So kind of like, uh, not like xylophone, but Professor Xavier. That's why my son's name is Xavier. But, yeah, yeah. but the whole thing that's funny is growing up with Exenides, when I was a kid, I thought it was Xylophone, Xerox. I thought you always said X. So it, it was kind of funny. And then people were like, what are you saying? Why are you saying it like that? <laughs> but I, you, you, you acclimate, right? Yeah. So it looks like Xenidus. So you're very close. But when you say in Greek, it's actually, actually Xenidis. So it's Theophilus Xenidis. 
So Theophilus Xenides turned into Phil. Well, and Phil came from a nurse when I was born. Really? My mom was like, how would you say this in English? And the nurse looked at it and she goes, Theo, no, yes, no, Phil. There you go. <laughs> so I think I met your mom once. Did she, she did at my house. Does she have a, uh, I can't remember. Does she have a still strong accent? Well, it had. She, she passed in 21. Oh, but yes, it was a murder. But no, I mean, she wasn't murdered. It was like just a heavy, heavy time. Yeah. But uh, thick accent. Thick but accent, the yeah. cutest, high-pitched accent. Oh. Like she would sing, she'd call me and sing happy birthday to me. And even though she's gone, I have those messages. Me too. Do you really? I have one right now to play. My mom's singing, it's your mom. And her voice had gotten kind of like this, happy birthday. I just, <laughs> I, and I just played it the other day for the first time. Since she passed, which was like maybe two or something years ago. Yeah. And I didn't mind. Yeah. I didn't mind. I it's, love it. it's bittersweet, right? Yeah. Because my name day is a Greek thing. Name day is like St. Phil's Day or whatever you want to call it. Ayo Theophilus. That was like, yeah, last week. March 10th. So, no, that's my birthday. My name day was last week. So my brother hit me. Hey, man, it's your name day. Happy name day. I'm like, thanks, because I always forget. But then I went searching for the message. In 2020, my mom, happy name day. Phil, it's your name day today. She's but in her voice and her accent, and and she was coming to see us too for my daughter's birthday. So she goes, "I'm leaving to come see you guys on Wednesday. See you <laughs> like that, right?" Wow. Yeah. How how old was she? did she live till? Eighty four. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My mom made ninety five. But wow. Yeah. 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 She she was amazing. I mean, this is you and I, man. So we both. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so like you wake up happy and you go to sleep happy right you're that guy you just naturally are happy all the um, time right it's not always but for a hundred percent happiness never misses the target is the guitar in my hand yeah i'm a happy guy i am but there's life stuff right yeah. the kids go to school you don't got to deal with this you got to deal with that you got to deal with that the business is crazy oh hey so we're not doing anything for a few months turned into, hey, we're not doing anything in 2022 because of COVID and shit like that. And so it's that kind of stuff takes you from being the happy guy all the time to, I gotta deal with stuff. You know what I mean? Yep. But totally. the guitar in my hands, no matter what the fuck yeah. is going on, the joy is always there. So that, okay. So I can relate to that. So suddenly my old age of 35 <laughs> realized, I went, Wow, I know why you play drums. Obviously, I saw the Beatles, but it was like playing drums and music gets my serotonin levels going up, gets my adrenaline going up, gets my oxytocin going up, gets all the chemicals in me going up. Why wouldn't you keep going for that? I mean, we're talking like when you're a little kid. Yeah, this feels good, so I'm going to do it. It's that simple. Yeah, it feels good, right? It's so good. It feels great. I mean, it's it's there's nothing like it. That's the thing. I think that's why. Before everybody knew drugs were bad, yeah, like in the 60s, 70s, people wanted to keep that high going. You do a show, you've entertained thousands and thousands of people, and you walk off stage and it's done, and you're like, wow, what now? Hey, try this. Yeah, maybe. That's like, yeah. Then they, people started ODing and stuff like that. Then you know it's bad. But yeah. before that, it was uh, like... I know what you mean. It was like nobody... Yeah, because especially in the 60s, well, guys like Hendrix, uh, Morrison, and, and uh, Janis Joplin, I mean, I don't think they really thought they're gonna die they just everybody was doing shit nobody had died yet so just keep doing and all of a sudden people would you know 
But it is about you get addicted to feeling good. Why wouldn't it's an you? Addiction for sure. Now check this out. Like when I was a little kid, I, mean, I used to remember driving twin brothers. You know, so his bed was right next to mine. They they stupidly put us in the same room, which was two hyper kids in the same room. Yeah, dad would come up eight times. I told you guys to go to bed. Maybe you shouldn't have put us in the same room. <laughs> but I'd be sitting there because during the day playing music and sports and just being me. It was exciting, but at night, lying in bed was not exciting. Yeah. So I'd hit him. Oh. So we'd start a fight. So it would be adrenaline. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know that back then. No, you didn't. But now I know now. But now when you hit a drum kit, dude, come on. Yeah. That's you. When I see Kenny Aronoff, but you're a hyper guy anyways. Yeah. But you get behind the drum kit. Like, yeah. we've done a lot of sessions together. Yeah. And, you know, you got your notes and I got my post-it. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're like, rocking out a tune for whoever it is. Yeah. And... We always have this thing. Yeah. Right? Totally. Because you we're here to make music and it could be the shittiest song in the world. Which it has been on occasion. But we have so much fun doing it. It's like, we get paid to do this? <laughs> what? How did that happen? I know. It's like the most amazing feeling in the it world. Is, it's ridiculous. And but it's like it, that's why, you know, even when we met, the, I remember the first session that we did. And was it was at Howard Benson Studio. Well, I was right? gonna get to that. Howard Benson Studio. Keith Nelson was on a, the whole Buck Cherry thing was on hi, hiatus. Keith Nelson was Howard's guitar tech. So he had his guitars and his cool amps and we would use all that stuff. And I think it was before I did the Daughtry record, it was uh, Fifi Dobson. And we met the day one. We were hitting it off yeah. slowly. And then you went home and Googled me or something. Yeah. And I had my hair all spiked up in the band powder. Right. And you came in the next day. You and you came over, you gave me the biggest bear hug. You're shorter than me, you lifted me off the ground. And it was like, we were like laughing and it goes, dude, this and this and this. And I'm like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then I walk out into the control room and catch my breath. And Keith's like, how long you known Kenny? I go, we just met yesterday. <laughs> and he's like, what? You guys look like you've been hanging out for like 20 years straight. So, I mean, it's always an energy, right? Totally. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in that family. You grew up in that family. Sure. Were your parents like totally supportive of your music thing, or did they have other thoughts? You know. Well, my dad, you know, he was uh, this Greek guy. That's who, what I'm saying. That's who had a really, really low education. Yeah. Because of travel and war and, and all this stuff, and then he came to Canada, and he just he's a guy like many guys want to give their kids what they didn't have. Right. Right. Education. He wanted. So he wanted me to play. He's the dad that when I was eight years old and had an Elvis set and we were at a huge Greek wedding, he would say, hey, the band's taking a break. Why don't you play your Elvis songs? And I'm like, no way. There's so many people. And he's like, you can do it. And he's also the guy that walks up to the band and goes, hey, while you guys break, my son's going to play a couple of songs. He needs your guitar and your microphone. And they go, yes, sir. Like, like he was a general or something, right? So I'm eight. This is way before YouTube. I'm playing a teddy bear in blue suede shoes. People lose their minds. And that's incredible. So, but that was my dad. But then flash forward to me being, you know, about to get out of high school and he's going, what college you gonna go to? What university you wanna go to? I'm like, oh no, me, not me, man. I wanna, I wanna go out and rock. And he's like, oh no. I'm like, hey, you wanted me to be a musician. He goes, yeah, but I didn't want you to be professional. Oh my God, that's great. He goes, do you have a 
a bigger chance winning the lottery than making it in the music business. He was right. I know, but I guess I won the lottery. Yeah. Right. But I mean, when you think about it, it's like, uh, dude, that's great. Story. Isn't, isn't that crazy? But my, my dad and my dad was also the guy that he started in one business and then this business and he got more successful and then it went into the restaurant business. And then he'd close a restaurant and bring the staff to our house. And then he'd come in my room. I'm sleeping. It's like 2 a.m. And my mom would go, Peter, it's a school night. It's a Tuesday night. Oh, my. I come downstairs. And I'm, you know, like this in pajamas, pick up the guitar. Hold you. Start playing Hotel California. You know, it's like, I'm, I don't know, nine, ten. Dude, that is so that was my dad. Fucking cool. You're playing in front of people at an, a young age. And even at that wedding, I realized, oh, this is what I'm doing. This is it. When did you pick up the guitar first? I was Holy five or six. Wow. Why didn't you play drum? Because you got drum energy. I still love drums. I, I suck. Oh, suck. I, I don't know why. I really... Was a guitar laying around? I mean, how did you... Well, my dad bought a guitar. Like, okay, so oh, this okay. is also my dad. My dad's my hero, right? Okay. This is I also like this my dad very modest when i was five very modest housing like a two-bedroom yeah. apartment for my mom my dad or no no this was like more downtown toronto at the time oh okay so four kids and sometimes my grandparents would be in in a room and then all the kids would be in another room two-bedroom apartment over an empty like business like a uh, like a store or something and uh he kept buying like plastic ukuleles to see if i'd get my fingers going right Did he play he played bazooki so i grew up with greek music right so and then i go dad i think it, at five i'm like it's enough with these plastic things I, I want a real guitar so in that modest family housing with the modest above the business income for my dad kind of thing right he buys me an electric guitar for christmas and an amp with it no but it was a, it was a semi-hollow full safety size theory. Yeah, I could barely, I could barely hold it. But in a few months I adjusted and I could start playing like chords and stuff like that. The funny thing was, and there was no place to keep it. No guitar, no, we didn't have a guitar stand. He hung it on the wall. He goes, Bill, if you want to play the guitar, tell me, I'll come and get it for you. So what had happened? I wanted to play it. He was at home. I was five standing on this rickety stool, trying to get it off the wall. I can't hold it over my head falls to the ground and splits. But he's cool. You know, some glue and some clamps and he's glued it back together. I'm back at it. This sounds crazy to me. I'm telling it. You know, all this stuff just goes back, right? Yeah. And he just always, 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 you know, come and see me play somewhere and go. I'm like, what? He goes, no one wants to see you watch your guitar while you play. Nobody wants to see that. And then the next show, I'm like, what? He goes, now you're jumping around like a monkey. You gotta find somewhere in the middle. He was that guy. Dude, that's brilliant. I mean, he's giving you some serious pointers that you would might get when you're 29 and the, yeah. the manager comes by, hey. And I'm 12. Enough of that shit. And you should be doing that. And you're like, what? But you know what? And, and then Dude, you were learning then, skills that and then my yeah, you know, my younger brother, right? My younger brother. Yeah, yeah. You know how you grow up and everybody thinks you're the greatest, your friends do, your yeah. brothers do, your yeah. sisters do. My brother was anti that. He was Dude, anti what, what? what? Like What'd you think of the show? Ah, eh, you play better. He's that guy. He's another kind of dad. Well, my sister's like, he's the best guitar player in the world. My brother's like, man, nah. that was pretty sloppy tonight. And I'm like, you, I'm going to work on it tonight. 
you know, like that. Dude, that's incredible. The drive. All these things you got, you got the passion from your sister. You got that, like, you can do better. And you went, oh, yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. And then your dad always there supporting you. That, yeah. I had the, people don't they, have that. I had the, the best molding yeah. situation. For well, sure. that's what made you who you are. What? <laughs> <laughs> See? So I've never heard a story like that. I've heard, yeah, my parents supported me. But this is at a whole nother level. Yeah. You know, this is a whole nother Okay, so then what age? Six? You said, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. No, it was eight. Because that was that wedding. Because it, then everybody, I walked off the stage. First of all, I thought I sucked at first. But it wasn't because they weren't responding. They were in shock. Right. They were like, so like you that. Thought that means I thought, oh, my God, I'm bombing. I'm, a, I'm an eight-year-old bombing at a wedding. This sucks. But when I was done, the standing ovation and all that shit was like off the hook. And I was like, oh, this is it, man. And then you do the talent show. Following that, you do the talent show in the fifth grade. And you literally go outside at Reese's and people are tearing your clothes off. Like that shit. I'm like, it gave me the whole Beatles thing, right? I was yeah. like, what the? How is this? And then I go back to class and they're like, what happened to your clothes? Well, some crazy <laughs> chicks at this school. Oh, my God. Were you completely self-taught or did you take lessons? I took some lessons, but the lessons thing is like why everybody stops taking lessons. Yeah. I don't want to learn Mary Had a Little Lamb. Yeah, they, I, they want want, learn, want I want to learn Aerosmith, man. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that's pretty crazy. So, I mean, obviously I know Eddie Van Halen was like, you know, top. Yeah. Who are some of the other people? I mean. Well, I mean, the, the, my classics, it spans, right? Like I loved ACDC, so I loved Angus oh, Young. Okay. I loved Black Sabbath, so I loved Tony Iron. Yeah. Early Scorpions with Uli John Roth. Yeah. He was doing stuff before anybody else was doing stuff. To me, that was like, and you look back now, and he was the predecessor for so many flashy people players. Don't, people don't talk about that. No, not it's always. It's the people that he influenced who they talk about. Yeah, right. Totally. Yeah, totally. Wow. Like I mean, I can. I, I'm such a geek that there's a lick in Sales of Sharon by the Scorpions that Eddie just changed the key and put it at the end of the Ice Cream Man solo, and it's changed, ends it a little different. But the fingering. Oh, it's this pattern. And then Ed took the same pattern and started on the five instead of the major, the minor, the minor, yeah. major third. He starts out on the fifth. And, and I'm, my brain works like that. Was but, he thinking that way too? Well, I mean. You're analyzing it. And I'm it. analyzing it as another guy who takes somebody else's lick and disguises it to be mine. Right, right, right. So he did that with Richie Blackmore yeah. and Uli John Roth and never mentions those guys. It's like, oh, I just listened to Clapton. And I'm like, you lie. When you say his, who? Man, you, deepest respect. Oh. Eddie. Eddie. Yeah. But he, you know, and somebody actually out in Pasadena showed him this tapping thing. But everything that he took, he made his. Yeah. And not only that, that. he, there, I don't think there will be another guy like that ever. I mean, there's like maybe the two biggest guitar players that had changed the world was when Hendrix showed up and then Eddie. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously Jeff Beck. I mean, bef yeah, and before, of course, Bob Jeff Beck. To yeah. this day, I mean, to the day he passed, yeah. he played one note and you knew it was him. Yeah, one note. It was with, such a signature. With no pedals. Nothing. Right, no pedals. He just. Well, yeah. he had, you know, I mean, obviously he has for different flavors and stuff like that. But, but before Ed, because I, I, you know, say I'm 11 and yeah. 11 years old, Ted Nugent. Never heard anybody say that. Now, Ted, I, Ted Nugent. Is, he's mellow compared to us. <laughs> Dude, could you imagine when the I was, three of us in a trio? See, oh my, oh my God, Ted Nugent. When I was eleven, like I had double live Gonzo, and I dropped the needle every day when I got home from school. So one day I learned somebody just what the doctor ordered, and the next day I learned the stranglehold, and then the day after that I learned uh, the song Gonzo, 
And then it wasn't just his, and this is another thing I don't think about or talk about much. He was clean and crazy. Right. So it kept me clean. When my friends started smoking and drinking and then marijuana in the seventh grade, I didn't touch the shit because Ted Nugent didn't touch the shit. Holy shit. It was such an impression. Yeah. And then when I was 14, I went to a Ted Nugent concert and I was completely blown away. Oh, he's incredible live. Yeah. With the long hair. Uh, and the, he, he was a rock star. He was a Jesus with a guitar. Yeah. It was star. unbelievable. And that got me, my fingers going. And then it was when I heard Eddie Van Halen, like everybody else, it was like, there's no way that's a guitar. That's a yeah. violin or something. That, nothing sounds like that. Yeah. And then you learn the Eddie Van Halen licks and then you go to your local music shop and you can do this, but you've never seen anybody do that, which is actually a Billy Gibbons thing. But what, what, what was that? Oh my God. And then you go home and then you got that in your bag and you got this in your bag. Yeah. And then at 16, 17, I'm like, okay, can't be a copycat. So what I grabbed from Edward Van Halen at that point was, and I saw them live, 80, 81, 83, 84, life-changing. Like it was like four superheroes flying all over the stage. Dude, and I'm like, it, it literally left the standard so high that nobody could touch it, right? So aside from that, what I'm taking from Eddie Van Halen, I'm gonna stop tapping. I'm gonna do different things with the whammy bar or maybe not use the whammy bar at all. And he's a patterns guy. I can be a patterns guy. At that point, I took some bazooki lessons and it turned my, my picking into madness. Cause there's no room for error. There's no distortion. It's clean. The strings are doubled. Very busy, right? So it's yeah, you're, you're, you're picking like this. And then when you pick up a guitar, it's easier and you have gain. So holy shit, people are like, where's that attack coming from? <gasps> I took some bazooki lessons. <laughs> bazooka what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that all this be- stuff just gets po- thrown into the bowl and your, your paint can and you just, your palette is just, and it was me, Eddie was so inventive. To me, it was like, I have to be inventive. I'm not going to play Eddie Van Halen licks. I'm going to play my licks. People are going to go, wow, where's that from? And wow, what's that? And what, where'd you come up with that? And whose lick is that? Well, it's mine. What? Why'd you do that? When you're growing up with all these guys that are trying to do their thing, my thing became my thing really early on. That's a huge realization you came up with being you, 100% you. Most people don't get it. Because here's the thing, any kid is going to try to be like Eddie Van Halen, they're not going to be. Right. So they're going to be, they can get stuck in that rut trying to be somebody they're never going to sound like. Yeah. So to have that realization, wherever that came from, for you was huge in developing your sound. Well, because yeah. you, know you know how you notice, I go on stage and I'm still a fan. So if I'm in the audience, I know what I want to see. When I get on stage, I portray that. I exude that vibe. Oh, yeah. Right. right? So it's the same thing. When I was in the audience, watching a band at the Gasworks and the guy started tapping, I'd go, Van Halen. Yeah. Okay, and then it hit me. Phil, you gotta stop tapping. Now there are other players like Red Beach, Nuno Betancourt, they all took it somewhere else. Right, right. right? They had their own That's thing. Cool. Jeff Watson and Night Ranger yeah. with the eight fingers. Yeah. People took it somewhere else. I didn't want to work on that. Don't work on taking tapping somewhere else. Take note selection. Right. You know, like a lot of people know me, I love pentatonic and I do stuff with the pentatonic yeah. that people are like, that's not, yeah, it is pentatonic. It's, it's taking but simplicity you, and throwing a little chromatic vibe in there and weird bends and slinky and sleazy and be in the pocket. That's where my shit became my shit. That's like the umbrella overlooks everything because then anything you do, you're coming in with that mentality. That's deep. So when did you have your first band? 
12 or 13. Neighborhood when kid. did you come up with that band where it was Sidonex or something? Sidonex. Sidonex? So Sidonex is my last name backwards. Right. Right. So Sidonex. Sidonex. I love that. And then, uh, so that band, there was a, a guy, Scott Masterson, who was uh, the drummer. And we went to school together, but his family moved away to like Kitchener, which is about an hour out of town, out of Mississauga. Yeah. Drum yeah? clinic. <laughs> so he moved there, met his friend, Kevin Gingrich. And then I ran into to Scott at a Van Halen concert out in front of Maple Leaf Gardens. And we were like, hey, man, we got a jam. Maybe, I don't know, my mom can drive you to me to Kitchener or your mom could drive you to Mississauga. And, you know, so we, we somehow made it happen. And then before we knew it, Kevin had a van. They could come to Mississauga or I can go to, yeah. to Kitchener. And, and then we found a singer and his name was Todd Barhead. And then when I was 17, we went to this Mennonite town and recorded a record, a six song EP. Wow. And all originals? Yeah, all originals. And now, I, you know, you listen to it and it's like, wow, I wish we had a better engineer. Or if someone would have told me, dude, I love producers that, that try to mold the band into something better. Oh, well, that's what you so, wish for. Yeah, so if he would have said, you know what, you're using way too many pedals for this band. Yeah. You know, a three-piece band with a front man. Let's get rid of these things and just plug in your Marshall. Oh, wow. And that if he would have said that, that whole record would have sounded way better. Wow. But he said, no, I want you to do what you do and, and let's see what happens. And I'm like, well, well that works too. I was a kid though. Yeah. You know, I could, I could have used some direction my first time in the studio. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was that kind of thing. How long did that band stay together? A few years. Yeah. Yeah, it was a few years. I'd left to be with another band and then came back and we changed the name from City Next to Flip City because... We were out somewhere and the <laughs> drummer, Scott Master, called me Flip. We all had nicknames. Oh, you know, oh, he was Mud Pie. I was Flip. He Flip, Flip, hey Flip, where do you, where do you want to put this bag, Flip? And the sound guy goes, wow, it's Flip City around here. And Scott goes, ding, new band name. It went like that. You know, I was writing, we would do the mix up three forty-five minute sets and it was like half covers, half originals. So we kind of, so we could keep- What kind of gigs were you guys getting? Were you dives. Dimes. There was one place. That, so dude, they were like, it'd be like being in Madison Square Garden back then though, when you were a kid. Who when you're, it doesn't matter, but you, you know, you pull into a, a town like called Chatham, something like that. And there's a place called the Aberdeen and they call it a, the Stabby Abbey because there's a stabbing there every Friday. And you're doing three 45 minute sets and living upstairs. Yeah. I did those things. You know? Yeah. And, but man, what a way to, yeah. What a way to work on your craft. Oh yeah. You think you're like rocking it. Like you could be at Madison Square Garden at that point. It didn't matter. You're playing. People are digging it. You're loving it. You're getting better. You're in a band, a bunch of guys. The whole thing is like, well, let me ask you something. Out of the thousands of people on Instagram, how many of them do that? Exactly. It's even impossible almost now. I mean, compared to, it was like what we're talking about. Everybody wanted to hear, oh. The only way we can hear a rock band is to get them to play in your living room or you got to go somewhere to see. Yeah. And now it's, that isn't as important anymore, you know? You know, it was one funny thing I just got reminded because we, we would drive all the way out to uh, Quebec City, which is beautiful. Quebec City is amazing, but it's way more French speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we pull in and it's got the poster, the bank picture of the band, Flip City, guitarist. It says terrible, terrible. And I'm like, what? Huh? What? 
what's that? What's that? And then I asked somebody French, no, it's Tarib Tarib. It means amazing. <laughs> but for a split second, why would they advertise a terrible guitar player? <laughs> I didn't know the difference, right? Oh my God. I played there in like January, snowing, freezing cold. Oh, freezing cold. With Corey Hart. And then, wow. Yeah. Another Canadian. Yeah. yeah. Sunglasses at night. That's right. There you go. Dude, so the trajectory of this would be like, oh yeah, man, Phil graduates high school and he moves to LA, but you didn't move to LA for a long time. Yeah. It was 97. So I was like 31. That's insane. Yeah. Because you know what I'm saying? You're on this trajectory. So you know, well, but before all that, okay, so let's move on. There was a, a we played the Gasworks and a producer from a band called Frozen Ghost, Arnold Lanny, who I talked to on the phone last week. No kidding. We stay in touch. Wow. He had a band called Frozen Ghost. They had a number on top five hit on Billboard and they toured opening for Howard Jones. Oh, that's not bad. So it was good. It was more of a pop thing, yeah. right? But he sees me play guitar and he goes, holy shit. And then I saw him walk in and I saw him leave and I'm thinking, oh. He doesn't like you guys. But he calls me the next day, he gets my number somehow. Oh, he knew our, our sound guy did monitors for Frozen Ghost. Oh yeah. How old are you at this point? 18, 19. Yeah. So he gets my number, calls me and he goes, hey, I'm, I'm recording a song on Friday. I was wondering if you wanted to come play guitar in the studio. I'm like, wow, yeah, amazing. So I go into the studio and first we're jamming with the band and laying down like rough tracks, right? So we got the drums, he makes a couple of edits. Let's record some guitars. And now I'm in the control room. I've never played to just drums and speakers before. So I'm playing and he's like, wait, wait, what are you doing? He's like, uh, I'm like, uh, I'm playing. He goes, you're so on top of the beat. I can't record it. This is before Pro Tools and stuff. Did like, you have a click coming at you? Well, I was trying to play the drums, but right. trying to adjust and standing from going from standing in front of a drummer my whole life to now these drums are just coming out of speakers and he's turning it up. And he's trying, okay, let's turn the drums up and you down. And then I can't hear myself. And you're trying to find the groove. And I just, I had a problem with it. He goes, I'll tell you what, let's not record today. Go get a metronome and practice to metronome. And then maybe we can record next week. That's assuming the drummer was in time. No, no, the drummer was in time. He, I knew the drummer. He was, he was one of those guys that, hey, great show. Because I played live with Frozen Ghost for a while. He played to a click drum. It was John Bavette. He played to a, kick, a click drum and triggered vocals. Like, na, 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 na. He triggered the background vocals on an octopad. Oh, wow. And he did that. Oh, right. And then I go, hey, great show tonight. He goes, ah, the click died in the second song. What? What? And it you sounded did? great. Yeah. Meanwhile, on the other scope, when I was touring with Aldenova, we had Denny, uh, no, Billy Kermasi, who's playing drums with Aldenova. Billy Kermasi, Denny's brother, with the Montrose Flame drum kit on the tour, right? It was amazing. But we played to a click for Life is Just a Fantasy because of all the space noises and helicopters and shit like that. So we played to a click for that song and the click died in that. So, you know, you press abort when you don't know where you are. And by the end of the song, it was like, Life is just a fantasy. <laughs> you slow down so much because you're like, don't slow down, don't slow down, don't slow down. Don't yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You're telling yourself, you're like, but then you overcompensate or undercompensate. I don't know. It's like, you don't, you don't stay there. That's for sure. It's like, oh my God, I don't, hope I don't speed up. I hope I don't speed up. And you speed up. Yeah. That was a long story to tell you how this guy was solid. 
So the drums were really solid on that track. And then, and then I practiced. What was I like practicing? Did you find out real quick when you went with a click track that, holy shit, I do speed up or I slow down? No, no, I do speed up. See, and then I met a bass player who always played to a click, a tempo, like a metronome. I goes, I've never played one of these before. Well, like, what do you set it on quarters and then yeah, play yeah, eighths yeah. to it? Yeah. He goes, no, set it on quarters. And then when the click, when the metronome disappears, you know, you're in time. I was like, what? What? Yeah. So, and then I'd speed, play something really slow and then gradually speed up the tempo and then try to have the muscle memory take over, right? I'll tell you, man, it's like, you know, a great exercise is you program a click with three measures and then you have a, a measure of silence. Oh, and you then you've got to be in the, oh, oh, that's awesome. So the click is actually programmed, but they silence it for four beats. Click, 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 two, two, three, four, three, two, three, four. Click, and click. you got to be on that one. Oh my God, I love it. What's your? Guitar players, that's for you too. Everybody do it. I'm going to try it when I get and home. And the next level is you then do eight measures and you take out two measures of silence. Oh. Measure seven and eight. Oh, now you're and talking. then it's like, yeah. That's... But you know what? I got to tell you, this stuff is for when you're in an arena and there's a click track to have a nice day. Yeah. And one night in front of 20,000 people, I didn't have click track. After the solo, I go boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, oh my God, I made it. Did they I did have, it. Did, did he I did. have a click? No, he did. He but did, I, but you did. But I had two rounds of me by myself. It could have gone way Oh, it gone. And then, um, but that's exactly, this is why this yeah. is important. Because it could happen anywhere oh, yeah. in front of 20,000 people. Oh, yeah. And Tico is like, you okay? I'm like, I didn't have click. And he goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> like between songs. Dude, dude. Hey. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. So, okay. So you moved to LA. Wait, before that, yeah. Triumph. I was in Triumph for a year and a half. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. So by the time Frozen Goes happened, played on the record, it was great. Got my time together. That was two years. Yeah. There was a few years. Did a tour. And that was my first across Canada tour in an RV. And then I played on their third record. They were in an RV? They didn't have a tour bus? Yeah, it was an RV. They were trying to, you know. Weren't they already big, though? Not big. And, like, I mean, Arnold was like, uh, you know, he had a family at home. So uh, he's, like, he's paying the bills. Was and it still a trio? No, no, no. It was a big band. We had, like, uh, it was a six-piece band. Because they were originally a trio. Oh, no, no. Are you talking about Triumph? I was yeah. talking, oh, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm still with Frozen Ghost. Oh, okay. So that was, the yeah. first tour was RV with Frozen Ghost. Yeah. And then after Frozen Ghost, it was Aldenova for a year. And that was 91? You played on the record. Yes. Yeah, so that was Blood on the Bricks record. Yes. You so, played and on the then record. your boss, John Bon Jovi, produced it. Yeah. And maybe co-wrote. Co-wrote, co-produced. Yeah. yeah. We were already connected. Yeah. 91 didn't Before we even knew it. Yeah. And then even back then, we had a week off and Bon Jovi was on hiatus. So he said, hey, bring the boys to the house. I got to record Levon for Elton John tribute. So I played on Levon, his John Bon Jovi's version. What? Yeah, back then. But then everybody's like, oh, so that's how you met. No, he totally forgot me. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, who's this Phil? Phil yeah, right, right, right. Filling in for Rizzi. Yeah. He had, you know. But anyways, flash forward a year or something, it was Triumph. And that was weird because not only are you filling in for a really high regarded Rick Emmett guitar player, yeah. but the band's scared to death. Like, what are we going to do? And, but we got this guy. So at least we got a great guitar player. 
But, and then Gil, Gil sang, Gil sang all the songs. And I've had people come up to me and say, that record is their favorite Triumph record. So cool. Wow. Yeah. So it's Triumph, New Deal with Victory Records. So Triumph Victory, you think it's going to be? Yeah. Victory. <laughs> it, yeah. It, but it didn't even come out. There was a, a band label, what? disgruntled. The songs good? There's some good songs. Yeah. But the other problem was, like, no matter how good the songs were, that type of music was giving way to oh. grunge, right? And so, so many factors against everything, right? So anyways, I still keep it. Every time I go to Toronto, I have coffee with Gilmore. Oh, cool. I uh, talk to Mike on the phone sometimes. It's, it's uh, these people that you keep in your lives, right? And then try my own thing. Don't want to be a side guy anymore. 97, me and my first wife yeah. were like, that's it. We're going to LA. And I mean, everybody's got that mind. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, you move here. You think this is where it's going to happen. And everybody moves here. Everybody moves here. Everyone. It's going to happen. And then you find out that there's 30,000 bands playing every week. And if you don't stand out, you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, we had this band called Powder for a while. That was the spiky hair. We were doing really well. Yeah. I saw you guys. I remember you did. Coming down from the ceiling. Yeah. It was like, it was. was, strippers. It was like, uh, it was the pink thing before pink. Yes. So like, yes, my ex-wife was doing the pink yeah. Cirque du Soleil singing yeah. thing. And that's where pink actually got it from because her choreographer came to see us play and she went to pink going, I got some ideas. So that that's shit happens. What happens. That's how what it happens. That's how it happens. Yeah. So wait, were you writing songs to their stuff or were yeah, they? Yeah, we were writing songs. We, but what I'm saying, the, the visual came first or then the music? Like, no, no, it was the music came first. The music but then, came first and then she just, created her creative mind visually yeah. was stimulated by, okay, we've got to do this. First, it was crazy outfits, yeah. like light up boobs yeah. and wigs and space boots and all this stuff. Yeah. And then it was like, I'm going to have two girls with me and we called them the fembots. So the fembots, they'd come out and do crazy, quirky, Carol Burnett fucking dancing shit. And then, hey, I'm taking lessons to do Cirque du Soleil stuff. And then bam, it's in the show. She's singing. Hanging 20 feet up, yeah. hanging upside down, spinning. Incredible. And then holding another girl. And it's like, it's stuff like that. So it was really, really. But, you didn't but blend what in. I learned, yeah, we didn't blend in. What I learned, we were doing so well, except with the labels. The labels still hated us because we were now we're in our 30s, right? And man, if they were 18, I'd give them anything I, they want. Right. You know, that kind of thing. So, but the, the crazy thing about the show was I got to see a lot of bands open for us. And I got to see not the creme de la creme, but, you know, higher up bands that could open for powder at the key club. Right. And so I'd be up front and it was funny. They all, there was always a closing band, but they hated it because when we played, everybody left. And that, oh, yeah. that last band went on to nobody. Yeah. Like crickets. Well, yeah. And it was funny when I'm walking through, I mean, Hey man, how you doing? You playing tonight? He goes, yeah, we're playing tonight. I go, what band are you in? Well, we're the headliner. You're what? <laughs> oh, we're on last. We're the headliner. I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. Buddy. <laughs> yeah. Again, we play, place cleared. Oh, dude. That headliner walks on stage. There's nobody there. It's called the closing spot, right? Dude, so exactly. people don't drink more or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I would go out front and being in LA, you're like, okay, so this band has songs, but absolutely no vibe. Yeah. Next band. This band has vibe, but no song. Right. And then this band looks amazing. But they got no songs and no vibe, no vibe. just look great. Yeah. So you never got the trifecta from any of the opening bands. I didn't personally. Yeah. And then I'd see a band that I love and I'm like, 
there's no way these guys are from LA. No, man, these guys are from Sweden. Yeah, that figure. There you go. That was kind of like, you learn a lot doing all kinds of stuff. How long, right? we, how long were you doing powder in LA? Dude, we were still doing sessions. And then I'd go, hey, are you coming to the show on Saturday? And then you'd come to the show on Saturday. That's where I go. Till around 2010. It's kind of like the Eurythmics. It was kind of like the marriage ended, so the band ended. Right. Yeah. When did the, uh, Phil X and the Drills come in? Oh, that, earlier, earlier. 2003. I was doing both. That's what I thought. I was doing both, yeah. That's what I thought. I thought you were doing both. Because, you know what, because, and it's nothing against Ninette, my first wife, but she had a vision. And I was always complying to her vision. Right, right, right. And then I'd say something. I'd go, hey, let's try this. No, nah, it's going to be this. So that's what the drills was. And then the drills to... was, well, I'm going to do something else then. Yeah. The way she looked at me doing the drills was me cheating on her. Oh. Which is so bizarre. Yeah. That's like, wait a minute. This yeah. is. It's music. This is our passion. Yeah. This isn't that passion. Yeah. This is what I love to do for, you yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm writing records, recording records. And then it got really, she got really mean about it yeah. and that was it yeah it I, I mean I, we were doing sessions during that whole period yeah totally i remember i remember and then you did a drill show our second record was, my, that, was that at that club there up there in noho the federal the federal yeah it's just down the street yeah. well the long street yeah but my drummer in the drills you know we booked a, a cd release party yeah well, me and you were doing so much together so, much session. Every so day, many sessions it was all the time and he calls and goes hey i double booked myself on friday i'm like wait that's our cd release party <laughs> and he goes yeah I, I can't do it i got these two fly dates and i'm like what the fuck dude and it's a CD release party yeah so that's it he never played with us again because of that but i called my buddy kenny I said, dude. <laughs> oh, I remember a show. You got specifically. it. Yeah. And we were on fire. Yeah. It was. You we actually did play fire. Yeah. Real fast. Da, 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 that might be slow compared to the way you did it. Dude, but we, we were on fire. You killed it for us. And it was amazing. And one of the, the most flattering thing I've ever heard from a drummer was you having learned like 10 drill songs. Yeah call me the next week and go, hey, can I get this song, this song, and this song yeah. without drums? Yeah. I'm like, really? For what? So I can play them at my clinics. Yeah. And I'm like, don't you just play songs you've recorded at clinics? Yeah. And you go, yeah, but these are so good. Yeah. I've never been more flattered by a drummer. Before. Yeah, I love, what's the song I like? Talk You Off The Ledge. The Ledge. Middle Finger. <laughs> I remember it because it was so flattered. It was Talk You Off The Ledge, Middle Finger, and Sunny Days. Yep. Yeah. We got all three of them. I made a medley of Sunny Days and Finger, and then uh, the ledge is like, it's I, just, I just did a big, huge speaking gig clinic thing at PAS, and ledge was in there. She was, I mean, there's nothing like it. And it, because there's no drums, I start going apeshit through it. Awesome. Phil's all over the bar yeah. line, you know, and there's a, <laughs> Phil's, get it? Phil X all over the bar line. <laughs> Jesus, that's, that's, yeah. So what, is the drill still exist? Yeah. Is it still going? Yeah, we have, wow. a, we have a record coming on. You're on it. So we recorded a song for the, this Drills record. I was doing... I recorded with you guys? Yeah. We did a song called Way Gone. When did I do that? In 2014 or 15. Cool. What, what happened was... When did I do it? Not here. No, you did it at Tommy Lee Studio. It was 2005. That's 15. 15. Right. So what happened was, this record is going to be like just a whole new 10-song record. Yeah. You're on it. Tommy Lee's on it. Gary Novak's on it. Brent Fitz from Slash oh, yeah. Band. He's a great dude. Another Canadian. Yeah. 
and uh, Ray Luzier is on it. Wow. So Taylor Hawkins and Abel Boyle Jr. on volume one. Oh, volume one, yeah. With uh, Matt, Matt, Cham Matt, Matt Chamberlain. Chamberlain. Matt Chamberlain. Yeah. His is kind of a standout track yeah. on that record. And it was funny because he just got off the road with Soundgarden. And we went into Tommy Lee's studio, the yeah. same thing. And this is, I love drums so much that that's why it's a rotating door of drummers, right? Yeah. Because different vibes. And I sent three songs to Matt Chamberlain. And I go, can you pick a song? He goes, no, dude, I'll play on anything. That's not that what I want. So I write something with him in mind and send, him to him, send it to him yeah. and go, what do you think of that? And he goes, oh, that's the one. And then I was happy. But he comes in after being on the road with Soundgarden. I go, I need you to go nuts here, here. And I want the guitar solo to be a drum solo, guitar solo. Because right. the song's called um, Something to Say, and it's about bipolar, arity. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I wanted to be a, this crazy yeah. thing of energy. But his part was so good, I didn't put a solo on it. Oh, I just couldn't. <laughs> And the funny thing was, too, is that he recorded on that drum kit and left. And then another drummer came in and recorded on the same drum kit. And that second drummer called me and said, hey, can you make my drum sound more like Matt's? Well, you have to hit him differently. Exactly. It's all it's I said, sounded. I said, you guys hit them the same. I mean, no, I'm sorry. You, you, you play the same kit. kit. Same toms, Dude. same kick. And, but you hit different. Not only do you hit different, does the res the drum respond different? The compressor, yeah. the overhead mics respond differently. Yeah, absolutely. So that that was another learning thing. It's that, like, yeah, yeah. Can you jump on Bonham's kit and sound like Bonham? I don't think so. No, it's not gonna work. And hey, let's have a Bonham style drum sound and then put Lincoln Park guitars on it. No, that yeah. doesn't work either. No, I mean, it's, it's... they get lost because Jimmy Page's guitars were actually small sounding making the drum sound even bigger. Well, that's cool, man. It's all perspective, right? And those lyrics that you come up with is so hilarious. Thanks, man. So hilarious. I mean, it's like, that's you. You write all the lyrics, right? Yeah. Great sense of humor. Thanks, man. People should check this out. All right, so let's talk about a Howard Benson. Okay. That world. Yeah. Oh, my God. Howard, like, he was probably, had more hits on the top 40 than anybody at one point when we were, yeah. I mean, that guy ruled yeah. radio. Did you play on that Gavin DeGraw? Yes. What was that song called? Uh, in Love With The Girl. The funky yeah. song Relative. I love that song. Me too. I, I, said love it. I listen to it once a month. Everything about that song is Me too. Still, me too. It's exa yeah. I'm like, his voice is singing, his lyrics. And funky and, and the, the mixing is, the yeah. tones and the mixing, it's poppy. I think I tell Gavin whenever I see him, man, and, and I know his brother Joey, I did Joey's record here, Joe DeGraw. You know, he has a brother. I didn't know that. Completely don't look anything alike. Okay. Nothing alike. They're in business together. They have, he has a saloon have, in Nashville, right? Yeah, big they one. Four stories. Four stories. They got all kinds of business. Yeah. But they're great. So, Joey, they got a funny name. There's something drinkers, something. Oh, he's going to kill me. Sorry, Joey. I can't remember the name. But, uh, dude, that song is so badass. That was incredible. That's one of my favorite songs I ever recorded. Me too. There was, they let me, uh, sometimes you go into a studio and you know what it's like. They put the reins on you and just oh, yeah. try to keep you back and stuff like that. And I get that a lot because my energy is too crazy sometimes. Yeah, me too. See? <laughs> We're like, how, how are we not related? <laughs> we are related by are music. Related. By music. <laughs> by relative. So. But we, how would let you just go, right? Sometimes. Yeah. But I know when a song needs frenetic craziness and when it doesn't. So nobody has to wheel that back. Hey, Phil, yeah. you're getting too crazy. 
I know when it needs it and I know when it doesn't. So that song for me was, it was, I put this vibrato on that root note. Down, 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 down. Put a shake on it, like it, it was almost it gnarly. You made it gnarly. gnarly, yeah, gnarly. And every, nobody said that's too much. Yeah. Nobody said that because I could feel it, and the way I'm on the snare, right? So it, tight, in time, in the pocket, vibrato. It's fiery, right? I bet you the way we played that track inspired Gavin because he's he got edge. Totally, he's a dude. He's a man. Yeah. He's a man. Yeah, for yeah. sure. He, uh, and I loved being in the room with him, man, because he could sing. Him and Chris Daughtry, if they hadn't have a, a guide vocal on the song yet, and you were trying to think of a secondary part in the chorus, I'd go, hey, Chris, or hey, Gavin, sing the chorus to me in my ear. So Mike Flanagan yeah. would play the track. He'd sing the chorus in my ear, sounding recorded, mixed, compressed, mastered, cellophane on the rack. They just had this sound that sounds... The way it comes it, out, finished. Yeah. They could sing on into a Coke can yeah. and it would sound perfect. Yeah. Unbelievable. But um, what you're saying is you hope that whatever you do is giving the singer yeah. what they need yeah. to put out their best. I remember Howard calling me up saying, dude, get this guy. He's talking about Gavin DeGrasse. And he was, because Gavin is like uh, totally right to him. We were the right guys for Gavin. Yeah. And that's why Howard wanted me there because he said, Gavin is, he's just 100% straight. He's a dude. And he was, not everybody might be able to relate to him. I totally related to him. I was like, what? I don't got a million guys like that, you know. But we were the right guys because Gavin is, he's, you know, he's, he's But he's dude. an idea monster. Like, not only Howard, not only Mike, but me too. Like, he'd yeah. go, hey, let's try this. It was funny because after a while, I was like, ah, that's not going to work with the, the vocal, yeah. man. And he'd like want to try it anyways. And then I, oh, yeah. I'd try it. And then he'll find out later that it didn't work. Yeah. I was right. And then he'd come in the next day and go, hey, I want to try this thing over the verse. And I'm like, it's not going to work with the vocal. And he goes, why must you always combat me? <laughs> that's what he said. That's what he said, word for word. I remember it vividly. And I'm like, dude, it's not a combat thing, man. I, that's I, why Howard was I, very I, careful who he brought in. Right. I swear. Yeah. And then... He, well, he, and then we'd work on it for four hours on his dime. And after four hours, he goes, yeah, you're right. But he really liked the two parts. They yeah. just didn't want to, they didn't want to go like yeah, this. They yeah, went like yeah, this, yeah. right? Did you plan that Puddle of Mozong Psycho? I don't think so. Yeah. They, that was an interesting thing because with, I was just, we were doing a session and he's, come here, I got this song. What do you think? I said, wow, yeah, it's a real, it's a real, like just a, a punk alternative type song, but it doesn't go anywhere. You know, it just stays on the same thing. So I said, what would you do different? I said, I just, you got to kick the courses harder, but you got to kick the bridge even harder, you know? And it's not like the parts change that much. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm sure you can relate to it in the guitar world. You just got to create that energy. The bridge has got to go up. You know? But see, that's what makes you a great drummer and going into the studio and people say, what do you think it needs? It's because you love songs. Yeah, I'm a song guy. And you love, love dynamics yeah. of the great songs that yeah. we grew up right so you're gonna love this part so then i get a, a call maybe a month later from an uh brian is it brian home house yeah the, the producer from canada yeah is it house house brian yeah. House. yeah he calls and says man i'm doing this song with puddle of mud i went oh cool the band didn't show up because they got the day wrong 
So it's me and Brian <laughs> recording this song. So we just do it. And I got a I'm coming up with a drum part to an acoustic guitar part, but it's a rocker. Right. So I'm imagining. You're imagining. I have to imagine. Yeah. Stadium, 20,000 seat hall. What are we doing here? <laughs> and I did this thing. Anyway, the bottom line is I went in to do a session with Howard a little while after. He says, what have you been up to lately? I says, bam, bam, bam. I says, and I did this, uh, oh, I did another puddle of mud song with uh, Brian. He went, you did? Yeah. And I went, yeah. And he says, I did Psycho with the idea that that was going to be the first single. And they're putting this one out, Famous, as the first single. And I'm like, I'm seeing all. I said, yeah, but that might be good because then they'll get the kind of radio waves warmed up and then yours will come in, and, which is exactly what happened. Yeah. Famous came out, went to number one on, on alternative radio. But it was there for a while. But then when Psycho came out, it was stayed for like nine weeks. Yeah. But Howard was not happy. No. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He didn't dig that. And I was like, oh, well, I'm just a hired gun. This guy calls me up, I play drums. You call me up, I play drums. But you know, it's funny how, especially in LA, I mean, it could be anywhere. It could even be in Nashville, New York. It could be anywhere. But this producer, he has his guys. And this producer has these guys. There was a year that me and Tim Pierce were yeah. the guys. Yeah. And if I was busy, they'd call Tim. And if Tim could be, be on a session. But we did. And with you. Yeah, probably. Um, Randy Jackson. Yeah. A movie score. Yeah. Remember? You yeah. and, and Jamie McCulbrick. A lot of times you have two guitar players. Yeah, so and Tim, me and Tim get along like, yeah. he's like, hey, I'll, I'll, go, I'll stay low, you go high. Right. And then the next song, hey, why don't I go high, you go low. Well, I play acoustic, you play electric, you know. So we, we were always, and then there was one time when, when Tim called me and said, hey, um, are you available on Saturday for a session? I'm like, yeah, is there something you can't do? And he goes, no, I'm on it. I talked to the producer and then getting another guitar player, so there can be two and make it live instead of two of me, right. you know, overdubs. And I'm like, like, who does that? I know. Tim, Somebody he does confident. that, because he's an amazing guy and confident, and he knows I'm not taking any gigs. Yeah. So like where I was Howard Benson's guy, Tim was Rob Cavallo's guy. Right. So, and that happens in LA. Right. So, and, and you accept it. was his guy a lot. Yeah, yeah, see? Did you give his son drum lessons or something? I might have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I remember meeting his son, because this is before Don became huge. Yeah. Oh. I was doing the Iggy Pop record. Wow. And, he, and, he, and Don was renting a place in Laurel Canyon, renting. And he goes, Iggy wants to meet you before he, you know, he decides you're the guy. We go up there, we're in the, they're both from Detroit, and we're hanging out. He likes me, and his, his son came out, nine years old, in a one-piece pajama thing, you know, with the footies and everything. You know, hey, Dad, you're making too much noise. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh man, it's so funny. Yeah, he, I, I heard Adventure he became a drummer. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's funny how there's so many aspects about yeah. the music business and you've played on so many records. <laughs> well, I was in the right time at the right place. Yeah. To me, the right place at the right time isn't enough. No. It's delivering when you get there. Yeah. yeah. You can blow it at the right place at the right time. Yeah. But if you had made it as a session player, that would have been a touchdown. If you made it in a band like Bon Jovi, that would have been touchdown, but you did both. <laughs> it was a good and thing. you did a third thing because now you got your own band, the drills. Now they're not as big as the Eagles, but you write your own songs, you got your own band, you're in one of the biggest rock and roll bands ever, and you do sessions. You and I did the right thing. You got a studio. Yeah. I got a studio. People think, wow, it'd be great if we could record without having studio costs. Exactly. That's well, why now, I got this. Yeah, exactly. You know what I call it? 
adapt or die. You exactly. adapted and adjusted to what was happening to stay relevant. You've got to first see it and then you got to react. I was living in Indiana, budgets went. I got a semi, got my shit out of New York, Nashville. Indiana moved to here, got my studio. Yeah. So there was no more budgets. Yeah. And this, no one's going to fly me. Music is more important to me than like, I'll pay. Yeah. I moved out here so that I could keep doing it. And that's, and look at here I am. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. amazing. Okay. Bon Jovi. Yes. Gotta tell me that. I know the story. You had like 24 hours. You had to fill in for, you know, Richie, a key member, a founding member of Bon Jovi. And you got to show up and just about walk on stage or something. Okay. So John Shanks, you know, John Shanks, yeah, you were in a yeah. band with John Shanks. So we were do we were doing this, me, you, yeah. Chris Cheney, Cheney, having lunch outside the at front. Henson. Yeah. At Henson, we were doing a session. Yeah. Shanks walked in. He knew I played guitar, but he didn't really know who I was. Yeah, so he was in Studio C. Yeah. He had his place there. So he goes, hey, Kenny, hey, Chris, hey, guitar guy. Yeah. And he walks in, right? So we're in D at some point. Yeah. And he knew we were in, and he spent the night before watching all my guitar demos. He's a collector, right? Oh, totally. So if you're looking, for, looking for a 1987-something, that's Paul something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you, uh, me, I come up on YouTube as, oh. in the search. And then, wow, this guy's really good. And five hours or something, he's watching my videos. So he looks for me the next day and he comes to Studio D where he knows we are. And he comes up to me and goes, you are a funny motherfucker. I'm like, what? He goes, I, I couldn't stop watching your videos last night. And it sounds like you can play and sing anything. And I'm like, well, man, thank you. Thank you. Like, yeah. I really didn't know who he was, yeah. but I knew he'd been around and yeah. done a ton of stuff, right? That's funny, man. So two weeks later, he sometimes somehow gets my phone number, probably you or Chris. And he calls me, he goes, hey, it's John Shanks. Remember we met at Henson a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, John, what's happening? He goes, I think I have a gig for you. I go, what is it? And he literally says, I can't tell you on the phone. Can you come by my studio tomorrow? And I go, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Right. So I come by the studio and he goes, how do you feel about filling in for Rishi Sambora and Bon Jovi? I'm like, say that again? Because <laughs> I'm thinking, is that even possible? That's not possible. Is that possible? Yeah, how can this happen? And then he said, it is possible. I think it should be you. And if it's not you, they'll just get somebody else. So you might as well just do it. Wow. He just put it into perspective. Here's a contract, no audition. Here's a contract. Here's a statement of confidentiality. You can't tell anybody. You might go out, you might not. So figure out what you want and call it a lawyer. So I get my lawyer. And you had to have a contract to sit in just at one gig? Well, we don't know if it was going to be a gig or a tour. We oh, didn't know any. Okay. It could be nothing. In fact, I'm like, wait a minute. If I'm learning a two and a half hour show and don't go out, right. that's penniless. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but you got to do it. I need, you yeah, it. but I said, I need this much to learn the show. Oh, absolutely. And they were like, what? This is crazy. Okay. No. <laughs> No, I agree with you, man. Yeah, Are you yeah. kidding me? Because learning, that's a lot. Dude, I, when I had to fill in, what band was it? Oh, Sticks. Sticks. It was like 34 hours of writing charts and rehearsing for a Sticks show. And those songs, they want you to play every note. Exactly. God. So I said, well, it's going to cost you this much for me to learn this show. Because it, cause it's, a, it's a job. What I say to people. Full-time job. Kenny Aronoff works <laughs> 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If I'm not doing this, I could be making money doing that. That's how busy I got. Yeah. So busy, still in that way. 
yeah, I had to do that. So they paid me for that. Well, I remember so many things going down at the same time, but they, um, you know, it was April 14th, 2011, that there's a, a call from New York comes on my phone. It's unknown. I don't, yeah, I'm like, right. Okay. Let's see. Now i got a minute. Let's see who called. Hey, Phil, it's uh, John Bon Jovi calling. I'm calling. So call me back. <laughs> well, he doesn't sound like a news broadcaster, but I'm calling and I go, hey, man, what's happening? And, um, so, and, you know, we talk small chat for a little bit. And then he goes, so I want to fly to New York at the end of the month to rehearse with the band and put you on hold for May. This is after you did that gig. That's right. Did what? That, that one gig up in Canada. Had you met him before? Had you ever played with him yet? Yeah. This was this whole, now it's real. Okay. Right? So, I mean, stuff like this even happens. Say, for instance, they send me DVDs of the live show in yeah, Tokyo, yeah. 2010. Yeah. So I put the DVD in on my big screen, mic, guitar, pocket marshal, yeah. my dogs. I'm playing a Bon Jovi show to the DVD. Because right. I not only have to learn the songs, I have to learn live arrangements. I have to learn John's cues for what we do in this song. What we do. So I'm learning all this stuff and I'm doing it. And there's a, Two days where I only got halfway. And I'm like, okay, that's enough for today, right? And then the next day I only get halfway. And I'm like, I want to do this. Yeah. Do I want to do this? That's a good question. And then that's I put my guitar question. on the couch. I lay on the other couch. I put HBO on Bon Jovi documentary. So that was a sign. That was, I guess I'm doing. Pick up the guitar, finish the show, keep doing it. I can't tell anyone what's going on. I'm inside burning up and yeah. exploding all at the yeah. same time. And I can't tell anybody. Yeah. So after that call, I was going to visit my mom. So I go to my mom, my mom's house, even though I can't tell anybody, my sister's like, why are you playing to a Bon Jovi DVD in mom's living room? I'm like, okay, well, this is what's happening. She freaks out. Oh yeah. You can't tell anyone. <laughs> right? My mom is like, what's happening? What's happening? You know, anyways, so I go to New York. <laughs> they say, we don't have teleprompters at rehearsal, but we have them on stage. And that's my saving grace. Tell, so I got to remember, memorize all the guitar stuff, yeah. but the lyrics will be on a teleprompter. Though, so that's helping me out, right? Yeah. But the, the funny thing about that is learning anything on Slippery When Wet or New Jersey, we're a piece of cake because I grew up with those songs. Right, right. Lost Highway, what's that? Yeah. You know, these days, what's that? Yeah. So many records came out after my fanship. Yeah. Your fanship never dies because you keep listening to the old stuff, right? But here I am, a huge fan, and I want to do it right. I want to respect the band. I want to respect Richie Sambora. I want to respect the fans. I want to do my best. And those are the areas you have to cover, right? Well, that's the question I was going to ask you, is how much do you have to be Richie and play? you got to play those licks, those famous licks. Yeah, but see, you know what? I can't be Richie. I know that. It's not so in my DNA. Would, so, so where does John allow you to have your own sound and modify what Richie did? Where does he draw that line? Okay, so this is Phil X. Yeah. And this is Richie. Right. And this guy in the middle showed up every night. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I can't go full Phil X because no. me being Phil the Drill, yeah. that's not going to work. not going to work. I can't be Richie Sambora because he's a completely different human being. Right. But in the middle, and I always thought to myself, you can't stray. You can't change one note in the solo for one dead or alive no. or living Those on a prayer. Born to be my baby. Yeah. I learned the record solo because even I would listen to the live solos. I would listen to the studio solos. And I loved the solo to Born to Be My Baby on the record. Did he change they, He solo? changed it all. The he changed that one a lot. Okay. And to me, it was like, yeah. oh, you can. You're the guy. You're the I'm going to do this. Yeah. So that's why I knew I made really good decisions out of the gate. 
you know, and keep the faith. He starts the solo like the record and then goes off. So I'd start the solo and then go off a little bit. And then the more I played with them, then I'm going start a little bit of Richie like the record and then go off a little bit and then go way into my yeah, domain. Do you ever get a look from John like, hey, too much Phil X there? No. Because when <laughs> I went out, go back to when I went the, out the first time, a friend of mine was like, dude, is this true? You're going out with Bon Jovi? And he goes, I go, yep. He goes, well, I've seen the drills. <laughs> yeah. Here's, I had just one thing I want to say. I'm like, go ahead. He goes, never take attention away from the guy the band is named after. And I'm like, that's really good advice. That's great advice. So I totally chilled out. That's great advice. But in Keep the Faith, when John goes under the stage and everybody takes a solo, yeah. I can get closer and closer to Phil yeah, yeah. to a point where people are like, holy shit, my favorite part of the show is your solo in Keep yeah. the Faith. You don't get the memo. Hey, trim it down, everybody. Yeah. You ever get a memo? There was a couple of things John came up to me and said, hey, yeah. that could be closer. I'm like, no problem. That's, that's good. Yeah. That's and there's other times where it's Don John doesn't want to say anything. Hey, you know when you sing Wanted, like Richie's part? I go, yeah. He goes, can you make it a little cleaner? I'm like, nope. And it's not that I won't. It's that I can't. That's, I'm going for an A flat and it's got to have a certain vibe. With me, it's a little dirtier than Richie. But when I said, nope, he was like, okay. And he walked away. It's not like, okay, we're going to give it to somebody else. It was like, you got to be the guy that sings that part. So there's so many things that, fall into play all the time. That's why, but you obviously are doing right. You've been there for ten, over 10 years. Yeah. So your 11th, maybe if you're in a band that long, you're doing something right. Yeah, for sure. Because, and here's what people don't, don't realize. We realize this. Okay. When you work for a big guy like Bon Jovi, and I, I've stayed at his house and yeah. we're friends, you know, he's still the boss, no matter how close you get. Now, I mean, not only is he the boss, he's a boss. There are days where it's like, awesome and there are days where like wow but you have that's right that's what i'm saying got a vision and it's not just a vision like okay we just made a new record right yeah in nashville we were nashville. there for five weeks yeah. and i'm excited about it. i'm super excited about Why? it we did pre-production in jersey earlier in the fall and it wasn't in ears it was tico and an electronic kit and small amps and a pa and john plays a song for us and then we just start jamming it and there was a couple of instances where we were all as a group collaborating and I got flashbacks to watching like an Eagles documentary and they're in the studio creating Hotel California. I got that vibe and I got goosebumps. And there were songs where I was like, I think this bridge start like this. And John goes, good idea X. And then we go into it. And to anybody else, they're probably going, oh, okay. I'm going, oh, yeah, good job X. My arm hairs are standing <laughs> up. What the fuck just happened like that, right? This so special records. Well, I, I mean, that's what I'm looking forward to because there, there are singles, right? Yeah, there's singles obviously. and there's other songs to me that came together in Jersey with this vibe. And then when we went, moved them into the studio in Nashville and now we're in headphones and the drum sounds huge and everybody's playing together and you're just sitting there going, wow, this is just thrown into Wow, that's good. And it that way. Yeah. That's, that's just, yeah. So this record's going to be different. I'm always like, I don't think the guitars are loud enough on the last couple of Bon Jovi records. And I think if the guitars are in the right space, then it's going to, I'm going to be really, I mean, I'm going to be proud of it regardless. But for other listeners, I want them to feel the guitars because it's Bon Jovi, right? It's, it's a rock, a rock record. record. Yeah, it's a rock record. 
Yeah. So I, I hope it gets that chance. Oh, that'd be awesome. Especially if it was the other records prior weren't, and now it's time to make a change. Well, John's really excited about the record. I think the whole band is super excited oh. about this record. It really, really, even though we did the beds to This House Is Not For Sale, no, the 2020 record. Even though we did the 2020 record, we recorded the beds off the live off the floor in the same studio, Ocean Way in Nashville. This one, just, Ocean Way. Yeah, it's amazing. This one just felt like holy shit. Wow, like this is exciting. Yeah, and then we're all singing backgrounds. And there was one point I'll never forget this moment because John sometimes thinks I'm just a metal guy, right? Because I wanted to run around play guitar, yeah. scream my brains yeah. out, and stuff like that. So he sometimes he looks me, hey Phil, what's up? You're this guy, you know oh, that kind of thing, right? I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. You know, even though I played on a yeah. Kelly Clarkson record. Yeah. But it's funny to me now, right? But there was one moment where we were talking about a background part for John's pre-chorus, right? Yeah. And John says, we need a part here. And Shanks is like, oh, it should be this. And I just stepped in. I said, you know, I think that's a little too high for the pre-chorus because then the chorus isn't going to oh, go right, anywhere. Right, right. And then John's like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, I think this singing in the room. And he goes, go on the mic and do it. So I go in there and... John Shanks, John Bon Jovi, Everett Bradley, who's yeah. our live percussion yeah. guy, and he's there doing, he's in Nashville doing backgrounds with us. So he's there for that. Lemma's in there like that. So I get on the mic and I get the headphones in and I've adjusted to the, I've adjusted, it takes me a minute to adjust the headphones yeah. and singing on the mic yeah. and finding my place and stuff yeah. like that and the right tone yeah. to be a background singer and not a lead singer. Right, right, right. All these elements. So the part came up, I sang it, everybody in the room turned around like, that's the look you want. Yeah. In a positive way. Exactly, man. Come on. <laughs> I was like, again, goosebumps. Yeah. It's like, holy, did that just happen? Good. And they're like, okay, grab the next line. And then I grab the next line. And that's what you're going to hear on the record. So isn't, those moments like this make me make it really special. At this point in your career, you still get goosebumps. Yeah. I remember singing Living on a Prayer when I was 20 yeah. in a bar yeah. with all my friends at the yeah. top of our voices and cheersing booze and whatever it was, I get goosebumps. I play that song 300 times with the band and I still get goosebumps. You know what it is? That song specifically, when in the talk box, you can tell I can't play drums. Yeah. Um, the talk box extent, you've never seen in an audience or on stage, never seen an, an audience get that electric. Oh, I saw it. Yeah, you saw it. 50,000. I watched your whole show after I played with Fogarty at Pink Pop. And that is, the audience is like, insane. oh my, yeah. Insane. They could power an entire continent. So dude, I mean, this is, what a, this is an incredible, great way to end. I mean, the thing is, is like, what comes after this? Are you a guy that thinks like, well, this is what I'm going to do next. Or are you just living in the moment? Are you in flow? Are you just living your life in flow? Or you just take it as it comes? No, I have to plan, especially when you have kids. So my kids are small, right? Right. You were over a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yeah. My son's 10. Yeah. My uh, daughter is going to be eight, like next week. So what I'm seeing, my involvement in their lives is almost more important than my career at this point. Beautiful. Like they started taking piano lessons and somehow through the grace of the universe or whatever, we got a free piano from this elderly couple moving to Hawaii. And it's a beautiful Yamaha wooden stand up school type piano. And they play piano every day. And yesterday, my son came up to me and he goes, hey, dad, I got to start of something. I think I need you to help me finish it. And that was music to my ears. He's like, it goes like this. And I'm like, do you want me to do bass or something? I hit a note, I hit another root. It sounds really good to me. He goes, no, that's not it. <laughs> well, 
what are, what are you hearing, bud? And then he used this. And where should I put this finger after I hit this? And I go, try this. And he goes, ah, I like that. Dude, I don't care what the fuck else is going on. Those moments make life right now. It's like, what am I going to do? Like, I've gotten the schedule from Bon Jovi for this year. I've talked to an agent about putting drills, plugging in drills in some of the holes. But I got to be home for that stuff, man. I really do. You know? Really? I have nothing else to say. That's a phenomenal. Thanks, Kenny. <laughs> Come here, buddy. <laughs> Sound like you.